Jarring Cacophony, which finished off there with a Antiques Roadshow style mix of the Doctor Who theme, tells you that you're listening to The Power of Three, the Doctor Who podcast that's here with some fun festivities, the fascinating and possibly, given that it's Christmas time, flatulence from all the Brussels sprouts we're eating. Yes, I, I will be eating lots of Brussels sprouts, listeners. If you don't want, if you don't fancy yours, feel free to put them in a Tupperware container and post them to his here at Power of Three magazine and I'll stick them in a Power of Three office microwave and heat them up and eat them later when everyone else has gone home. Absolutely. And if you want to send them to us, you can see the address on our, on the screen now for our YouTube viewers. Yep. I'm Kenny Smith. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We are continuing to, to chat sort of Doctor Who things that you might get for Christmas, which is fun. I used to love Christmas. I used to love Christmas, mate. When I was a uh, when I was a wee Davy Steele, because that's when you know you would get lots of Doctor Who books or or Doctor Who videos. You know, I remember the anticipation for Terror of the Zygons and Tards of Wing Chang, and then for the for the first Dalek story the following year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was your favourite ever Doctor Who Christmas present, great mate? Oh well, great mate. Um, I think possibly my Christmas nineteen seventy nine. Doctor Who underpants from DHS. I still also have the Doctor Who <laughs> annual from that year as well. So yeah, I always loved my Doctor Who annual. They were great. Happy times and places. Mine was either Doctor Who Celebration or that World Distributors hardback compilation thing that oh, had yes. like tons of old stories. I remember getting that Christmas '81 as as um you know anticipation for Peter Davison arriving was huge and. Yep. Faces had been on, and, and all this. Here's an interesting thing, listeners, which hadn't really previously occurred to me until I did some noodling about on the interwebs the other night. Talking Pictures, that fantastic channel, have just started a full run or full screening of John Pertwee's Wurzel Gummidge. And I'm sure I've alluded in the past to like how mind blowing it was as a as an eight year old to see Carnival Monsters and the Three Doctors repeated. Um, and seeing, you know, Wurzel Gummidge was Doctor Who. It was mind blowing. It was it was almost as mind blowing as when you found out that Tristan Farnan was going to be the new Doctor Who. You know, as a, as a as a childhood, like as Tom Baker talks about people having associations with you know their fictional representations. It was huge. It was like Tristan Farnan, Wurzel Gummidge, both Doctor Who. Unbelievable. But um, the point I'm making is, I'd I'd looked up, I did a bit of googling and noodling about Wurzel Gummidge because um, seen the talking pictures we're going to show in it, and I wanted to sort of see. How long it had run, and did you? Re- I didn't realise this, but the third series of Wurzel Gummidge was basically broadcast towards the end of 1981. So Wurzel Gummidge season three was going out contemporaneously with the Three Doctors and Carnival Monsters repeats. Isn't that wow. fascinating? I had no idea. I just remember. I mean, little me, you know, at the age of seven, I just fell in love with Charlotte Coleman and the slaughter and that, and then was I? I generally shed a tear when I found out she died. Um, yeah, Manasma Tang, so pure love, just brilliant, brilliant actress. Should have been in Doctor yep. Who. I'm sure she would have been. 
it's a great series with a lot, you know, really good people involved. Um, and when you look at the casts, you know, people like, you know, it's ridiculous when you think of people like Billy Conley and Barbara Windsor were involved in it. Yeah. And Chris Gibbons was in it too at one point. So yeah, talking pictures on Friday evenings, listeners, so make sure you're watching Wazzle Gummidge. As a Doctor Who fan, you owe it to yourself. But we're not talking about Wazzle Gummidge today, even though I've sidelined this briefly. We have, we have a returning guest to the show. Kenny's going to tell you who it is. Indeed. Um, as a... I thought it'd be quite a nice idea to have a quick chat with our great mate, good friend of the podcast, Al Dewar, about the various Doctor Who action figures that have been related to the Christmas episodes, and indeed a New Year episode as well, which we will come to later on. So yes, Al's here to join us in a wee moment to chat about the various figures we've had, whether they've been from Voyager the Damned, the Christmas Invasion, basically we go through the lot all the way up to the one with the, the Jodie Whittaker new series, Dalek. With the very much the junk Dalek, or skip was it reconnaissance Dalek? That's its proper title. I always refer to it as the junk Dalek, but uh, lovely figure, really nice action figure that one. So yes, so yes, I was going to join us in a second of a quick chat. But do you have a particular? I bet there's one figure that you wish we did have. Yeah, listeners, if you've already listened to our episode when we chatted to Stephen Cole, you'll know it. Forgot if you listen to the podcast, we'll stop. You'll know that I'm a big fan of, of the next Doctor and a big fan of Dave Morrissey's performance of Jackson Knight, big fan of Dave Morrissey anyway. Good, good friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> He's a legend. Yes, I always thought, you know, and I have a clear memory that at some point in the past, Dave Morrissey talked about being photographed at every angle so they could do an action figure of him, but it never materialised. So hopefully this is something that, that Kenny will talk to Al about just now. That's a good idea. Why don't we pop over and have a quick word with our mate, Mr. Dewar. Hello, Al. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. You're getting all ready you for got... Christmas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. You've, decided, you've dispensed with the customary introductions. There's no point anymore, is there? I'm, on, I'm, I'm like a rash. I keep coming back. <laughs> well, we haven't used any cream on you, so no. we don't want, to, we don't want you to go away. We, we like you coming back. I might dissolve. There'd be a few people out there that'd be quite happy about that, I think. Well, they can <laughs> dissolve, quite frankly. So why don't you tell them who you are again, just for the record, Al, so they don't forget. Oh, God. Yeah, so just for the record, for the for the incriminating police file, I'm Al Dewar, and I'm creative director for Carrot Group, and I, for my sins, work on the Doctor Who action figure range. Well, I'm really glad that you do. So we're going to have a bit of a Christmassy themed episode today. As yes, we are. The festive season's on the way. I thought we could have a little look back and talk about some of the ghosts of Christmas past. Yes, I was intrigued. I was actually quite intrigued when you um, threw that up as a. Obviously, you didn't throw it up, but you brought <laughs> back as a as a topic, and I thought, well, that'd be quite interesting. I suppose the first ones we started off were from the first Christmas special with the Sycorax and the Sycorax leader. I mean, they were, gosh, they were so old. I only have one really residing memory of, of that. Well, I said two. So the first one was, so we got reference to the Sycorax, but obviously he had his full helmet on and we didn't realise, and obviously it was different from the other Sycorax, so we kind of assumed wrongly that it was just a, he was just a chief denoted by his physical difference on the on the actual skull helmet but what we didn't realize was obviously he takes that helmet off and then reveals his 
face underneath. So it would have been nice to see that, but we weren't but we weren't allowed to see that. So it it was a little it was a little bit galling's not the word, but it was it was um I think obviously I think they were keeping it as a big reveal, but I think it would have made the toy better if he could have had the removable helmet. And the other one was I remember being in the factory when they were making the Sycorax and they were trying to get the the sort of wash wipe effect on the head right. And they, they you're standing away, you're standing like 10 feet away from a guy who's painting it. And then they would bring it up and this was in China, obviously, and they would bring the figure to me and show me it. And I'd go, no, that's not quite right. And then they'd do it, go back and do it again. Then they'd bring it up and they were like, is this, you know, is it like this? And I was like, no, that's not quite right. And then eventually I just got fed up and I was like, look, this is what I want you to do. And I went over to the guy's workstation, which clearly, nobody does because you could almost sense the palpable sort of like oh my god what's he doing kind of thing but i just literally picked up the brush and slapped it over the head and then wiped it off with a rag with the thinners on it and went that's what i want and they went oh that's cool <laughs> and then off we went so yeah i got to actively dictate the exact level of wash wipe on the sycorax skull which uh, uh which which was quite cool they were good. Obviously, that was David Tennant's first appearance. So, well, not his first appearance, but his his first story, which also made it sort of quite special. So, I think we had the Sycorax leader, and then we'd already done, I believe, the the sort of the Eccleston to Tennant regen figures, the sort of twin pack that came out as well. So, yeah, there was there was a lot going on. And they never came back. They were one of these, though the, they are quite, but I mean, interestingly, it's one of the questions that quite often comes up about why why don't you do more new series characters for the likes of B&M than classic series? <laughs> you know, we may have discussed it before, but the honest answer is because the new series stuff is so bespoke. It's so very particular and so very much a more designed costume. Whereas in the old days, Quite often, the villains had a boiler suit and a couple of bits of, you know, or they were wearing a pair of tights with <laughs> decoration on. So, you know, thus the reason that the Axon has been many, many things in its long life <laughs> versus Sycorax, which, you know, next time a bloke in a heavy cloak and sort of medieval clothing is required, I'll probably look at that again. But again, it's just, it's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. And of course, there was a figure that wasn't released because there was a prototype for a doctor in dressing gown. Okay. So this is myth busting again. There was and there wasn't. I think most people know that the company we used back then for sculpting was Design Works. And I used them pretty much exclusively. That figure was not prototyped at that point. But what happened was that many years later, and I do mean many years later, so it wasn't at the same time as the Sycorax was done, there was another sculptor who subsequently went to work for Big Chief, I think it's safe to say, who contacted me and said, I really want to work on the Doctor Who figures. And he sent me some images of his work and I always felt the design works guys nailed stuff pretty well, but 
I sort of said to him, well, show me what you can do. And he, I think, had already started that particular prototype. So it wasn't one we commissioned. And it's interesting how it's got out into somebody's hands, because the honest answer is I don't, well, I do know how it happened, but we'll go into that in a minute. But I kind of, when I saw the finished one, I didn't think it was up to snuff in any way. It's significantly different from the kind of quality that DesignWorks would have done. So it wasn't a DesignWorks prototype. It was done by this independent chap. I can't remember if we paid him for it or not, but I do remember saying to him at the time, I, I'm not sure on it and I don't think it's going to get approved. And sure enough, the BBC just basically went, no, nah, this isn't, you're never going to get this and it's, and it's not approved. And also, I don't think they liked the fact that it was that sort of, the BBC is quite canny or the guys I worked with are quite canny identifying the fact that moment in time figures like the doctor being exterminated, <laughs> they don't have much of a lifespan as a figure. They might be nice for a collector, you know, it's like the Darth Vader with the lightsaber slash through his helmet. It's not really a figure. I mean, you can stick it on a shelf, but you can't do anything with it. So they, I think, were quite good at identifying those kind of figures that just were what I would call moment in time. That was a moment in time figure. It wasn't It wasn't actively commissioned. I didn't think it would get approved. Subsequently, it didn't get approved. But it sat in the cupboard at the BBC because we never asked for it back. It just got straight. This is done. So it, it wasn't a commissioned figure. It wasn't our prototype. I didn't ask for it and DesignWorks didn't sculpt it. That's all I can say on that. But it was submitted to the BBC kind of knowing full well that it wasn't going to get through. But also, at the time, it gave me an out to go back to the particular sculptor and say, look, that was your pitch and it didn't quite work and I'm quite happy with design works. Which for me was fair enough. And then, as I say, he went he went on and I think ended up doing, doing some stuff with Big Finish and some other folk. Yeah, and then somebody left the BBC <laughs> and in doing so took with them a whole bunch of stuff that was in that cupboard at the BBC, which happened to include the guard from, so that dates it for you. If you want to, if you want to sort of like date when that figure was done, the guard from Planet of the Ood and God, there was another figure. Uh, it was a guard from Planet of the Ood. What was the other one I saw recently? Oh yes. And the upright, which is another story. Um, so the upright cyber shade, which was junked, they all mysteriously vanished from a cupboard at the BBC and ended up getting out into private hands. So that's so that's the story behind that figure. Never, it was never into it was it was never it was kind of a non-figure. But somebody out there has probably bought it and thinks it's great. And all I would say is, yes, we character did submit it for approval, but we didn't commission it. It wasn't from Design Works. It didn't get approved. Myth but busted. Myth busted. Um, Who are you going to call? Myth busted. Al <laughs> <laughs> Jure. Yeah, the man who knows. So that's the story on that one. Yeah, we spent. <laughs> talk about that than we did on the cigarette yeah oh <laughs> well one that definitely did come out and i think 
if I remember correctly from when we were chatting years and years and years ago, one of your quickest ever turnarounds was on one of your biggest ever figures, the Empress of the Rachnos from the following year's Runaway Bride. Yeah, I, that was a great figure. I mean, I think, <laughs> what do we talk about the Rachnos? Well, they've come back several times on audio and, and they've been absolutely brilliant. I think it was a sh- so I've got to be careful what I say. I think we were given early access, as we always were, to the maquette uh, that they'd created for that particular figure. And it was fabulous. It was really nice. We got early access. And it was almost one-to-one scale with our figures. And it was at that point we suddenly thought, flipping hell, this thing is gigantic. But we actually got it done very very fast i think the slightly disappointing thing if if there was an element of disappointment was that because obviously it was a costume and um i can't remember the lovely lady who played this sarah parish it was sarah the gorgeous sarah parish um i should have remembered that because i remember the time thinking oh she's lovely (laughs) Um, but yeah so it, it it became quite apparent when we were viewing it that the costume was quite limited so you didn't see the queen sort of she swayed a bit um and you know the extra eyes and stuff were fabulous but you didn't see her doing a lot and i think that probably contributed to the fact that it is sold and for as far as i remember it sold pretty well but it wasn't it wasn't one of those must have its off the shelf now kind of figures but when you see it even now when you see it it's it's a it's a humongous figure it would have been nice to see it a little bit more animated and i guess who we are 15 years further up the line and i suspect the queen of the rachnos could potentially be a lot more animated these days you, you would probably really believe she was a flipping giant spider um but at the time, you could see the limitations of the costume. And as I say, I think it's partly because the character didn't really do much in the show. It was a bit Jaws-like, you know, less is more. So they so they didn't they didn't show her doing a lot of stuff, whereas they did a lot of the CGI of her children, the the, the little spiders. But yeah, I mean, it was a it was a fabulous figure to make. I've still got one somewhere. I've still got um, mine, as always, of course packaging was humongous as well so yeah yeah it was a beast of a thing literally a beast and of course the one that, there was another christmas figure that we never got here with donna in her wedding dress which was beautiful yes it was i can't really say much about that one i'll be honest it's it's a tricky one to talk about all i will say is it was commissioned there were a couple of variants and it didn't it didn't get through it didn't get through the approval process and a shame a shame because um, it was lovely uh, there were bloody nice sculpts and again they've one of them i know has migrated into private hands and is out there it, it, you know the basic thing with non-approved figures is i can say which ones we did and which ones are genuine but you can't say anymore because technically from, I guess, the BBC and the artist's point of view, none of those 
were approved. So technically, they're not kosher. So yep. that's so it. Once that are kosher, of course, was the following year we got a bumper Christmas packet from Voyage of the Damned with Heavenly Host and Kylie. Oh, we did. We did. And again, that's a, that's a fascinating story behind Kylie, because you'll rem- uh, Okay, so so um, there's two bits of this story to talk about. Uh, one is potentially more interesting than the other. The Kylie figure is great. I mean, she came along, we got brilliant turnaround images of her in her costume. From memory, we had two goes at the head of the five-inch five and a half inch figure from memory could even have been a first you know straight hit on the first one <laughs> the more interesting one is you'll, re- you'll remember at the time we were also doing the 12 inch scale figures the big figures and we did a 12 inch scale Kylie doll and we ran into a weird situation we had that 12-inch figure sculpted up and the dress all made in the correct materials. It looked stunning. I mean, hand on heart, next to the tenant figure from that same range, but I think even one up, the Kylie 12-inch figure prototype was the best likeness I've ever seen. And everybody who saw it, because we actually showed a bunch of people at Toy Fair that year, must have been in the January after it had gone out, actually, thinking about it. But we showed a bunch of people. Everyone loved it. Everyone thought it was stunning. The person I was dealing with at the BBC at the time had a very strange thing, and it impacted the Sarah Jane figure as well, but n- not at the same time. But that person did not like that interpretation of Kylie, and because she didn't like it, she would not show it to Kylie or her agent. And it's one of the few times when we just basically turned around and went, we think this is absolutely brilliant. We're not changing it. If you don't want to show the agent, we can't make you, but we're not changing it and we'll just take it off the agenda. And that's exactly what happened. It just it just went away. Oh, that's awful. But it, but it was absolutely flipped and stunning do you still have it in an archive or a vault i don't i don't there was quite a few of those bigger figures that that um funnily enough didn't make i said a few there was two that i can think of offhand so kylie was one the other one was the suntaran we did a we did a suntaran at that same scale of the major the one played by chris ryan again absolutely stunning i think the difference with that one was that by that time the that range had begun to kind of you know sort of um wane and and therefore there was a the so um a specific rationale behind it but that sculpt as well because it was just a solid sculpt is mind-blowingly good i mean it, it, it was just a shame we, th- that range was getting better and better every time we did something it got better and better in terms of because we began to know what worked and what didn't but i mean if you like if you think that the likes of the big chief 
stuff is good. All I can say is the the Kylie, the Peter Capaldi, and the Suntaran <laughs> would blow your socks off in terms of how good those sculpts are. They are next level amazing. Al, we've talked about Kylie, so why don't we move on to a couple of the other figures in that set, the two Heavenly Hosts, and of course their flying Death Ring Frisbees that came in there as yeah. well. The Heavenly the, Host. Yeah, um, the robots of death of the 21st century. They were kind of, and it's weird, I don't, I don't look back on them particularly fondly. It did feel like they were trying to be the new Vox but it's like everything. But back in those days, we were we were in the fortunate position, and Doctor Who was at that point so popular that we were doing stuff without even knowing <laughs> whether it would be popular or not. Whereas doing stuff in hindsight is always much easier because you can look back and go, "Oh, that would be a much better figure to do," or this or that. But yeah, so we did do the Heavenly Host. They were a difficulty, really, because once you to have them with the removable ring, you then had three prongs that counted as sharp point issues. So then you had to make those in a soft enough PVC material that they wouldn't injure somebody if they got poked in your face or your eye. But if you make them out of a soft... PVC material, then they deform quite easily, which means that getting the ring on is a nightmare. So it's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of at what point is it soft enough not to cause you grievous injury, but it still makes it workable as a toy. And it was an odd thing for a robot to do, if we're honest, isn't it? I mean, why would... I mean, robots would normally shoot you, or being robots, they're faster and stronger. But it was a bit odd job from 007 when they took <laughs> the little angelic. I suppose it was a. I suppose that was the parody that they took their angel loop off and killed you with it. But yeah, it was it was a slightly odd one. Here they were done, and one of those figures that you kind of do once and then you can never really reuse it because it was very much wasn't really anything, you know. Unless we needed a Jesus figure. It might we might have been, you know, might, might been able to get a Jesus figure in there because because it's wearing a smock. Uh, yeah, it was, I mean, odd one. And yeah, can't say much more about the Heavenly yep. Host. <laughs> but also from the same story, but released separately, was the little guy who sounds like a drink, Banana Coffee Latte, or I should say, Banana Latte, played by Jimmy V from Heart Hill, of course, which is in Scotland. Yes, and who's infamous for swearing like a trooper, I believe. Yes, often spotted having a cigarette whilst in costume as well. Yes, but he's one of those people that I think he would be fascinating to meet. And he also played the Scovox Blitzer, I believe. Yep, and Space Pig, and the Mini Stadine. And Space Pig, yeah. So he's done a lot. And the Cafalato was... Such a weird character. I assume he's a distant cousin of the same type of people that turned up in um, the Tenth Doctor's final story with the Master. Yeah, he was a Vocci and they were Vin Vocci or vice versa. Yes, 
That's so sad that I know that. Yeah, I'm impressed that you know that. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, it was <laughs> again, it was one of those figures that you kind of... I seem to remember there was a reluctance, a vague reluctance. Not from me, I might add. But my memory... It's funny how your memory throws things out. I think there was a slight reluctance from some people to do him. But I think because he was so key to the story, it was kind of felt that we needed to... It's an odd one, isn't it? You choose you choose people from stories, but it's always a punt. It's always a punt, Kenny. Always. You never quite know, especially if you're working ahead. You never quite know what's going to work. So um, Astrid was good. I think if I had my time over again, I'd probably have done... It was a disembodied head in the wheelchair thing. Oh, that was Max, Max Capricorn. Capricorn. Call me Max. Might have a Max. Call me Max. Ding. We might have done him instead. Might have been a better option. And there was the really... The guy who was who always played... Um, oh, God, from uh, Revelation of the Daleks, down in the catacombs. Mr. Mr. Joe Bell. Yes, Mr. Copper in this one, yeah. And Mr. Copper in this one. Yes, Mr. Joe Bell. And, um, yeah, he was quite an interesting character as well. Although he was just bloke in a suit, as always. Yeah. It was very good. But also, of course, I've just remembered, there was a variation in Astrid as well, wasn't there, where she had, without her apron type thing on as well, wasn't there? I think we were keen to eek. (laughs) That was was the days of... Is there a variant we can give to bullies? Uh, or is there a variant we can give to Argos? Yeah, and we decided that even... I think she does, actually, in the show. She she gets rid of her... We'd call it a pinny, wouldn't we? We would, She gets rid of her pinny at one point, and then she's just in the black skirt. And in actual fact, if you if you bought the standard Astrid with the, with the pinny on it, you could actually detach it if you felt really that it was a variant. So we just sold it without and um, <laughs> and got through that yeah Banacafalata with his little power pack as well in the hole in the chest unit you could take off his front yes his little vest I've forgotten about that I forgot about that yes all these things that you like because I don't hold on to these figures a lot so mm. and you do you've got them so you know yes. what works and what doesn't? I've forgotten oh, about that. They've all had the play test with Katie over the years, pretty much. So, ah, good. Yeah, I mean, she loved Banacafalata, and um, particularly the fact she could take his little power pack out. Although I believe that he is one of the figures she accidentally broke a little bit off. She broke his right thumb off, and she was devastated. But it was fine because we were able to glue it back on, so it was all fine. Oh well, I've I've got. I happen to know I do have a Banacafalata somewhere in the loft because I've seen it. <laughs> so if you if you want a replacement, you can you can have that one. Panacavalata, um, Panacavalata. Yeah, it was it was quite cool. And the, the heavenly host didn't say anything, did they? Or did they just say we're here to serve I, or something? I think it was pretty much that standard sort of yes, we are politely biased. <laughs> the quiet. <laughs> you see, you're never going to beat. Please do not throw hands at me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Greg Pony. Brilliant, brilliant line. Did you know that he was a university lecturer, Big Finish writer and actor John Dorney? No. There you go. He taught John some acting skills and voice 
scorched. So there you no. go. Yeah. Oh, see, it's my favorite. My, my one of my favorite robots ever. The robots are the Vox. The Vox. They were just so good. But now let's move on to the next Christmas special. Moving on to Christmas 2008, we have the next Doctor. And of course, we did get a rather nice cyber control. No, it was a cyber leader from that set. But there weren't too many others. But I suppose this is one where, with hindsight, there's tons you would like to have done. Yeah, it's, it would have been nice to do something different. We did have plans. I think most people are aware that there was a cyber shade. And through nobody's fault, we were given reference. And it really was through nobody's fault. We were given reference of the cyber shade standing up. Whereas in the show itself, they're on all fours and basically almost sort of dog stroke ape-like. So there was plans to make that, but in many ways, I'm actually glad we didn't because um, I think I, th- I think that was, I, th- I really enjoy the next Doctor. I think it's a moment in time. I think I think there was stronger characters there. The Cybermen are certainly stronger than the Cyber Shades, in my opinion. And I think Miss Hartigan in her bright red dress was a fascinating character. And easily, yeah, by far and away, Jackson Lake and Rosita would have been the better characters to do. So the Cybermen were an easy character to do. The Cyber Shade would have been the wrong character to do. The, the alt Doctor and Rosita, I thought, were fantastic. But again, they weren't really genuine, the Doctor. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. It's one of those. It's one of those weird ones where, as a watch, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, I, re- I really liked. It had kind of a really cool, gloomy air about it, which was neat. That sort of, which I always like in programs. Whenever there's an air of gloom, or or you kind of, so Miss Hartigan in her bright red dress, standing at the graveside, and you know, stuff like that, and there's sort of foreshadowing of things to come and the sort of general you know Jackson Late's story is actually quite tragic in a way so it's all good and Rosita I think was an unsung hero hero or heroine but nowadays it would definitely be hero and I thought she was absolutely brilliant as a character and those two had a great dynamic so yeah it was it was a it was an interesting one yeah for sure but yeah I remember the face painted black was probably a little bit disappointing as our sort of offering uh, for that one but it's a Christmas episode and they're and they, they you know it's funny we've done some and we haven't done others so for instance the doctor the widow in the wardrobe we did nothing on that one but there was some quite interesting stuff in that as well you could have done uh, Miss Hartigan you could reprint redone the guilt old lady and just put on a red dress and put a new head on her we probably wouldn't have been allowed to because the dress wasn't quite literal to the character if I'm, if I'm honest. In hindsight, it being 2020 and all, you're right, it, it, it would probably have been an easy fix. But again, it's that moment in time and it's probably, it's probably gone now. But it was, a, it, was a, it was a funny one and it was a funny time as well. Just, with, I think it was the Christmas spirits just conspired against us. It just didn't quite go to plan. So, yeah, interesting one interesting one it's one of those ones where there were, there were so many like I say there were, you know there were so many good characters in that story 
Yeah. And it zipped along at a fabulous speed. And then you've got the Cyber King in the middle of London sort of stalking around. And it's it's insane, but it's very Doctor Who. It's just the sheer... It's one of the, Weirdly, it's one of those stories that very much, I think, it very much fits the format in my head of the, the sort of latter-day BBC Doctor Who books before the programme came back. It's got a slightly cold, slightly, I guess, Cyberman-like, it's a slightly dispassionate kind of... I don't know, there's something about it. It's a, it's a story. It's not a warm and fuzzy story. It feels a bit, in some ways, melancholy. But then it deals with all those lovely things like funerals, Victorians, and workhouses, and children under the cosh. All the, all the parts of Victorian story. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's a good story. Great characters. Love Jackson. I, I figure 100%. Two figures that I think would have been absolutely brilliant. Rosita. Jackson Lake. 100%. Oh. Missed both on those. But the following year, the end of time, we got four figures. We got a narrator, stroke Rassilon, a new master, and David, all distressed, and then the first Matt Smith figure. Yes. <laughs> we did. What order do you want to tackle those in? Why don't we go for we'll go for the doctor first? We'll start with the distressed-looking David, all cut up. Well, he was essentially the he was essentially just the original David Tennant. That's the that's the I mean, weirdly, considering how many we sold of that, that's the one. That's the one figure I I'm not fond of. Not because of the face features or anything like that but actually just because I think we could have done so much better David I sound like I'm on first name terms I'm not <laughs> when you see David Tennant in costume it, it's got a very tailored fit and I think our figure ended up looking a little bit slab like a little bit blocky which you definitely notice when you jump to the Matt Smith figure that came after it because I think Tennant although they're both very slim. I think arguably Tennant's physique is even slimmer than Matt Smith's. And we and we seem to capture that far better in the Matt Smith figure than we did in, in the Tennant. So, I mean, Tennant is is one, that, well, sorry, 10th Doctor, Mr. Tennant. It's one I'd like to go back and revisit. I, th- I, think, the, I think the figure we did for the 14th Doctor, David Tennant figure, is certainly getting closer to the right kind of physique. But yeah, it's just one of those things. So yeah, it was, I mean, there was nothing special about that. I think we had a couple of rips and a, and some blood scratches and other bits and pieces. So that he, But again, that's when you're getting details like that added by someone at a factory, it's one of those things that there's a very subtle line between that's that's enough and that's too much because it's not something you can apply with a spray mask. It tends to be something that they add randomly. So it can go a bit wrong. I mean, it looked okay. It yeah. looked okay. I don't... And I'm assuming that the matte figure was pretty much just a tenant body whacking your head on it. I don't know how you can say that, Kenny. That makes it <laughs> sounds like absolutely willful disregard for accuracy. Um, <laughs> Yes, that's exactly what happened. We we stuck, we stuck Matt Smith's head 
on the figure. And again, I, I, I think I'm right in saying because because obviously we got we would have had I'm saying we got but I, I'm damn sure we would have got reference to Matt Smith in the costume but I think that was early on where his hairstyle wasn't completely set in stone yet because even when you go to Time of the Angels yep. is that right? Yeah, Flesh and Stone Flesh and Stone even when you go there that was his first filmed episode I believe and, and his hairstyle isn't quite set in the way that it then becomes later on so I think the figure sort of or that head reflects that that it's not it, his hair looks perhaps a little bit more Matt Smith and a bit less the Doctor at that, at that point was yeah just a blatant head swap there was nothing there was nothing special about that one at all yep so tell us about the Master so the Master was the was the second John Sim master that we'd done i think the first one was bloke in a suit and the second one was bloke in a hoodie <laughs> as a figure i think it's okay i the john sim figures neither of them i think neither of them i think quite captures him correctly he also had the Beard, I think, in the hoodie version, which which made it a little bit more tricky to decorate. I think out of the two of them, I probably prefer the bloke in the suit variant from the that we did the first time round. But the second one wasn't difficult. It was just literally re-sculpting the head from the new reference. I think with that figure, I think I'm safe. Oh, I think I'm right in saying we tried to do something a bit wacky on that, but again, it was that stupid moment in time thing. I think we tried to look at decorating him with a with a skull effect over the top, and it never quite worked. It wasn't it wasn't quite right. So we tried that at some point to get. Cause you know, he when he was hungry, his sort of skull and stuff would kind of show, but. Yeah, it was too. Again, it was too much of that moment in time thing where you're just like, "Well, that's a blink and you miss it" moment. So, what's the point? You know, doesn't mean anything. But yeah, he was a pretty easy figure. To do. It's interesting with a lot of the figures from that time because, as you know, I think I've talked about it, but it, but it, recently I've been experimenting with going back to bare plastics. I saw somebody do a review of, I think it was the Colin Baker figure. That we did recently, and sort of said, "Oh, it's a it's a cost cutting exercise. <laughs> it's absolutely not cost cutting exercise. It's, it's it's something I'm doing going forward, and it's not for cost cutting. It's because it actually shows the the base sculpt better than when you slap tons of paint over the top of it, and it actually gives a far better effect. So we tried that unsuccessfully with several figures, but it's interesting, or would be interesting, I think, to go back and see." with a lot of those new series figures, how much detail would be exposed that was lost. And I think the master was one of those that really suffered from that loss of detail when it got painted. So it would be interesting to do a wee experiment and see how that would, uh, how that would come out using the new technique. And the final figure in this step was, of course, the narrator, but we didn't realise he was Rassilon at that point. Or we didn't, you probably did. I can't remember if I did or didn't, if I'm honest. I am... Um, we knew he was a, obviously a high-power 
Time Lord. I thought I thought it was a fabulous coup getting Timothy Dalton to do that part. I thought it was fabulous. Again, I, I wish our. I don't think the actual body and arms and stuff were particularly bad. In fact, I think they're absolutely spot on. But I, th- I think the likeness again was probably spoiled by the way the painting was done. And it's another figure that I think, if we redid it, just using the base plastic, it might be interesting to see how much better it would look, or not. But yeah, it was cool. It was a very complex figure. I mean, it was, um, it, you know, layers of robes and a lot of the Gallifreyan symboli- symbology, iconography and stuff on the on the robes. So it was very layered. Yeah, it was great. It was, it was a very cool figure. But as always, I mean, we, <laughs> nine times out of ten when you were working on a figure, you just didn't know their significance within the story or how long they were going to be on screen or whatever. I wonder how many people have got their David Tennant in dinner suit figure, popped the head off and tried to put Timothy Dalton's head on to give themselves a James Bond figure. <laughs> I probably would have, I must admit. The... Yeah, he was he was so cool as James Bond. Should have done more. He was I really, yeah, I really liked his tenure. He, they were at a point where, and I think he was one of the few Bonds where he, he did try and play it absolutely seriously. And he did try and... I mean, certainly his last film is absolutely brilliant. It's got so it's got so many good things in it, but it's quite hard edged. You know, if I had to sort of align any two films <laughs> together, I would, there's a very close connection between that film and Daniel Craig's Casino Royale. It kind of they've both got that kind of much harder edge while still retaining sort of core elements of Bond. Yeah. Again, that's an interesting story. I mean, if you had your time over again, would we have done the narrator? I think probably not. I'm not sure we would have. I think, you know, with hindsight being 2020, but the the wonderful Bernard Cribbins as Wilfred, in some ways, I think probably would have made a more relevant figure. Sometimes that thing of hanging a coat, uh, hanging your coat on a story coat peg rather than hanging your coat on a character coat peg doesn't pay you the dividends that it should. Whereas I think arguably, because uh, he was integral to that story, but hanging our coat maybe on the Wilfred, a Wilfred figure might have been a cannier move in the long run. Let's have a quick chat about the snowmen because we got that wonderful alternative mat in that Victorian outfit, that glorious purple one, which you've done twice, one with top hat and one without. So was that just a case of take the standard sort of mat lower half, create the new body and jacket for him? It was, yeah, it was, I mean, that that set was just a fantastic, I don't know, I really love, I still absolutely love that costume. I think I think he looked brilliant in it, and obviously it was a double pack with Clara, um, and you know, in that bright red dress, I think she was fantastic. The the only issue we had with the bright red dress was because I wanted it to be seamless and not kind of as we would normally do a dress with a seam line and a glue line and stuff down it. I made it out of TPR, but the, the sort of knock-on effect of that was it made it impossible 
to do it as anything else. But as a figure, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I just wish we'd been able to do um, another Clara figure variant further down the line. But the Matt Smith one, yeah, it was. Um, so I mean, it, I think because his 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 main costume, his trousers were kind of had slightly more surface detail in anyway. When it came to doing his Victorian one, it was quite easy to sort of sympathetically make that work without ruining his. Obviously, a lot of the at that time, a lot of the Doctor was defined by the silhouette, and I think arguably he it didn't really break his silhouette. You would, you know, if you put a bright light behind him, you'd have still known that was Matt Smith. But that sort of Victorian, slightly battered feel, and that particular story. So it was, it was a it was a fascinating one how we kind of did ended up with that double pack where we had Clara or Oswin from the subsequent, the subsequent or previous. In my mind, it's subsequent, but I think it might, yeah, previous. I think actually, isn't it? Um, from the previous Dalek story, and yet you had. Matt and I, I, from memory, and it always cheats with me. I think my original plan was we would do Clara in her Victorian costume from that same episode, but I think the costume, the costume was going to be a blink and you miss it one. Little did we realize that the Oswin one was going to be a blink and you miss it one as well, but it was just a nicer, I think it was just a nicer version i'm really struggling and it's a good question kenny because i'm really struggling to understand how we ended up with those two figures mixed and i think it did just come down to clara in the red dress was i think at that point i could see her being used as an action figure more than doing clara in the victorian outfit which we knew she wouldn't be retaining so it was a moment in time but as i say little did we know that we we kind of messed it up both ways, if you want to be honest, because we'd, we'd ended up with a red dress Clara that we couldn't really do many variants of. Although we tried, we had a black dress Clara and a, a dark blue dress Clara. And there's even somewhere a prototype of a really weird sort of beige dress <laughs> variant as well, which isn't very nice. Is that went with a black yeah. leather skirt, didn't it, from the time of the Doctor? Yes. Yeah. And it's, it, it, I get, like I say, Clara's just one of those figures. She was equally, arguably, as important as Amy Pond, but where we managed to get three plus Amy Ponds out, we only ever got one Clara. I might need to revisit that at some point in the future. One that's not strictly Christmas, but New Year's, the Reconnaissance Dalek, which was a real surprise when that came out because you had kept that one very close to your chest and I had no idea, which of course, as it should be, but I was delighted and surprised to see that one because it's it's so much fun just being able to twist it, turn it, get all those angles. So that must have been a, a bit of a bugger to do from scratch. It was. We had to pin our money on something. And we sort of pinned it on that Dalek. And again, on the assumption that the da that Dalek was going to be the new Dalek. Um, so although it was sort of battered in that story, we sort of figured 
there may be a way that when it comes back it will be salvageable as a different character or a more less battered version but then it turned out it was a sort of standalone which wasn't a problem it just meant that we'd committed a big chunk of tooling to a sort of figure that only appeared in the single story albeit I think arguably that Dalek was pretty cool. It's certainly up there and on par with the Dalek from Dalek uh, <clears throat> in the sense that it kind of reiterated what a lone Dalek could do, um, which in some cases and it often uh, it, the, the sort of lone Dalek is, is in some ways more of a challenge than a group of them. Uh, well, it certainly seems to be like that. Uh, but anyway, it turned out we we couldn't really reuse that. And then when the when that variant came back, it didn't really come back as a Dalek. It came back as a drone. So I know a lot of people sort of say, "Why did you never do the the security drone?" And kind of for that exact reason. By that time, they brought the bronze Daleks back, and <laughs> the Dalek wasn't really a Dalek. Um, so it it wasn't. Um, and although I did model up a new skirt base section for it, but it was one of those ones we we never. I submitted it a few times, and we never kind of got it right. We could never quite get the geometry of the sort of security drone Dalek right. So um, we just parked it and um, never went back to it. In fact, it's on my. It's I say it's on my. It's on my colleague's desk at the moment. A mix of brown plastic and grey primer, never to see the light of day again. But uh, yeah, no, that one, that one, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it it looked very different, and I think that was one of the key things. And then obviously we put the little Dalek mutant inside. Anything where you can add a little play feature is good. So. Yeah, I like that. I wish it had been. We sort of found out late in the day this, because it always happens that, you know, the engineers come and go, oh, you, you can pull the legs off this Dalek. It's too bendy. Let's make it harder. And I'm like, oh, please, no, don't make it hard. It's it's a Dalek. It's supposed to be all squishy. And they're like, yes, but it'll it'll be a small parts issue and it'll 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 injure a child. And I'm like, ah, really? And they're like, yes. So uh, you just have to go with the flow. So the Dalek went from the first shots, which were sort of lovely, super squishy, and could quite easily be squished into that cavity on the front of the Dalek, to being um, a slightly harder PVC that you needed a, a sort of degree in origami to get it to fit in there. So um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was an interesting, it was an interesting, but it, um, yeah, it was, it was another good one that came out of a, a, a sort of. Year's Day Christmas episode. Yep. Very seasonal. It is. Uh, the one I suppose would be chasing us for, um, and we'll see if we get there in the history of the Dalek sets, is obviously probably the 13th Doctor Jodie Whittaker sort of Gatling gun Dalek, which was, it's just a, another funky arm, but, you know, it's a variant. Variants are good. <laughs> they're easier to they're easier to make in some ways because it's just another arm. Whereas, um, so I mean, that's an interesting case in point. Just as a side issue, is is obviously that 
the original Daleks in Manhattan Daleks were done on the old style Dalek tooling, which was the, the sort of deformed base that was never quite right. And obviously we've updated it since then. But those Daleks in Manhattan Daleks don't exist anymore in that format. So whether we'll ever be able to do those or not, I would doubt because the tooling commitment to do that would be sizable. I remember it being quite sizable at the time because we had to literally cut up the existing steel tools and create inserts that made those panels and chunks of panels. Um, and they were all slightly different. So yeah, I can't, I can't see that set happening. You heard it here first, people. As they always do. Fantastic. As they always Absolutely. Al, that's been brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, it was nice to go back and cover these things. Like I say, memory fails, and it, and uh, I can only go on what I vaguely remember. The people go, don't you know? Mm. <laughs> like, no, it was, it was 10 years ago. Specific things you can always remember, like you can always remember going and scanning somebody to make a particular thing or going and seeing a particular thing or meeting John Hurt or meeting David Tennant or run, you know, running into somebody in the corridor somewhere. It, um, you can always remember that sort of stuff. But when it comes down to the specific, I can only guess because it was <laughs> so long ago. So like I say, I suspect it was just one of those things of, oh, uh, the, you know, Oswin, um Clara was probably the, you know, flip a coin and take your pick and you go with your best guess. And it was still wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sounds good. It does. It's, it's fun. That's the way to do it. As long as you're having fun, Al. Next time. Oh, crikey. Well, we'll have to. We'll have a chat, and then we'll come back and surprise everyone in the new year with something a little different. But I thought it'd be nice to have a wee festive figure roundup. Yes, no, that's good. I mean, that's a good idea. So, Al, thank you very much for your time, and of course. It, I would be remiss of me not to say and a very Merry Christmas to all of yours at home. <laughs> I'd hoped you'd resist the chance no. to break the fourth wall, even on audio, Kenny, <laughs> but just went and did it. I did. <laughs> I had to. Well, same to you. I hope you I, I hope to you and yours you all have and everybody who listens and your programme is very popular these days. So yeah, to everyone that listens, have a great Christmas and a fabulous new year. Thanks, Kenny. Well, there you go, Dave. Now you know, he <laughs> did consider one. He considered it and you know, with hindsight, he would love to have made a Jackson Lake and Rosita figure two-pack as well. <sighs> when was two-pack in Doctor Who? Oh, you obviously missed him. That was in, he was in one of the Time War stories that were never broadcast. Must have been during the wilderness years. No, it's, I mean, it's it's the sort of thing, let's be honest, Al, if you're listening, I'd, I'd suggest that you do a, a, a B&M three-pack with um with a DT figure and a, a nice exclusive cyber leader design and, you know, dig out your old photographs of Dave Morrissey and make a, <laughs> make a next Doctor action figure. Maybe time for next Christmas or, or the year after. I don't know. Absolutely. Um, that'd be a lot of fun. You know, top ten action figures that, that you wish they could have made. I mean, you could... You could um you could have some fun with that. Maybe the next time we talk to Al, you and I can work out our top ten figures that they wish we wish they'd made in, in advance of that. That um, sounds good. Let's run down with them. I'll do. Let's do that. Cool. 
Yeah. I'm not going to work it out just now because I need to think about it. But oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, and I was not here. Fun. No, it's I mean, it's a weird thing though. I think like if you know, if the next Doctor had maybe been followed by a series straight away, there might might have been more of a a justification for an action figure. But given that it was only the specials in two thousand and nine, it's I don't know. One thing I do hope we get before too long, actually, given that you know what I was just saying about specials and not a full series, I really hope we get another fourteenth Doctor figure just on his own, or maybe with um with a new or something else. We'll have to see what happens. We'll have to see what happens. Yeah, I quite like one with the jacket off, which apparently you can do. Some people, yeah. customizers have already done that and whacked some different arms. So yeah, it, it would make sense. It'd be good. It'd be good. What's been your favourite action figure this year then, Kenny? Um, oh gosh. Uh, God, I'm just quickly thinking. I, I did love the Time Lord set. I think they were superb. Yeah, they're very smart. Bernard Hoff. So I, I, since we last spoke about action figures, I bought a couple of the very for once the BM near me got an absolute ton of the new figures they had more Daleks than I've ever than I'd ever seen so I, I bought the um the remembrance set yeah um but I bought was very lucky they'd like a couple left of the the five doctors Richard Hundle doctor so I bought those two so they're probably my favorites don't buy a lot of action figures these days but I was quite pleased to get that gorgeous shiny new um Black Dalek, Supreme Dalek from Remembrance. That's amazing. It's just yes. it's tremendous. He's glorious. Details. He's absolutely glorious. Oh, Dave, so, um, time is against us, but yes, I was also I've as you know we do like to play with the tune here, and I was thinking about Dave Morrissey for you, not not like that kind of thing <laughs> about him. I was more about Jackson Lake, and I was thinking what your response would be. You know, in terms of if you could pick one action figure, that'd be the one, because I'm sure that if I said Dave. Here's an action figure. I'm going to make one for you. What would you want? You would say Jackson Lake, because all I want for Christmas is you. <laughs> oh gosh, I thought you were going to have something with Jackson Brown or, uh, or Jackson Five. Right, no, that'll do. Listeners, I have no idea when I'm going to be back, but if I don't see you, have a nice one. Merry Christmas. Take care. Bye bye. Don't want a lot for Christmas. 